0: Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 8, Episode 58. Last week, as I wrapped up the Book of Judges with a summation, I got mostly through the story of the judge and strongman Samson. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm picking up with the rest of his story. And with that, let's get started. Judges chapter 16 begins with Samson having just become a judge. What's unclear is if chapter 16 was just after he used the jawbone against the Philistines or sometime later. What we're told is that he went to Gaza. When he got there, let's just say he got to know a professional lady. The people of the city, the Gazites, hear that he's either in the city or nearby. Many of them, the exact number is not given, but many, lay in wait for him at the city's gate. Keep in mind that the general practice was to close the gate and lock up the city at night. Their plan was to wait until the morning, and when they spot him, they planned on killing the judge. Samson, though, doesn't sleep through the night. Waking around midnight, he's in this city with the closed gate, and you'd think he'd be trapped. But then again, this is Samson. After he awoke at midnight, he made his way to the city's gate. As you would suspect, especially since the story has been preserved for thousands of years, its closure didn't prove to be any sort of barrier. He simply took hold of the gate along with the two posts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. That's a distance of about 40 miles, 60 kilometers in a straight line. What's unusual about this feat is what the text doesn't tell us, that the Spirit of God came onto him. Either it was left out, or this seemingly amazing feat was closer to his normal. Sometime after this, Samson is said to have fallen for Delilah, described as a woman from the Valley of Sorek. This place was on the border between Dan's territory and Philistia. While it's not explicitly stated, but implied, is that she was Philistine. The implication stems from the next part of the text, where the lords of the Philistines came to her and said, Charm him, and find out what makes his strength so great, and how we may overpower him, so that we may bind him in order to subdue him and we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. The bribe worked. Do note that with the last woman, his unnamed wife, they had to threaten her. Now, bribes were on the table. Delilah goes to Samson and asks, Please tell me what makes your strength so great, and how you can be bound, so that one can subdue you. Samson replies, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that are not dried out, then I shall become weak and be like anyone else. She relays this to the lords of the Philistines who bring her the prescribed bowstrings. While he's sleeping, she ties him up. Wherever they were, the place was large enough to have several rooms. As we're told, there were men lying in wait in the inner chamber. Delilah wakes Samson, acts surprised, and tells him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. Of course, he hadn't been honest with Delilah and snapped the bowstrings without any sort of effort. The verbatim description was that he snapped them like a strand of fiber snaps when it touches fire. Delilah, still not knowing the source of his strength, calls him out on it. She tells him, You have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you can be bound. He seems like he's owned to her, maybe, though he doesn't send her packing. Instead, he tells her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall be weak and be like anyone else. You can guess what happens next, along with the result. In fact, it played out almost exactly like the last time, including the lying in wait in the inner chamber. This time, it was written that the ropes snapped off his arms like a thread. Third verse, same as the first, and second for that matter, except this time he tells her that if she were to weave seven locks from his head with fabric from a loom, so woven fabric, and make it tight with a pen. Nope, that didn't work either. She wasn't giving up, though. Delilah tells him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me three times now, and have not told me what makes your strength so great. Finally, after she nagged him day after day, and pestered him, he was tired to death, nagging and pestering. And it worked. He told her the secret, the whole secret, saying to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, then my strength would leave me. I would become weak and be like anyone else. Of course, that was the true case. Delilah quickly realized that he had told her his whole secret, and she sends for the lords of the Philistines, telling them, This time, come up, for he has told his whole secret to me. When the lords of the Philistines finally make it to her, they brought her the promised money, eleven hundred pieces of silver. She let Samson fall asleep on her lap, then calls in a man, having him shave off the seven locks of his hair. And with that, he was a mere mortal. Then she woke him, saying, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. As he awoke, he thought, I will go out as at the other times, and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. So the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. They brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow back in. At some point later, the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to their god Dagon, giving their deity credit for delivering Samson. When the people saw the blind and bound Samson, they praised Dagon even more, eventually throwing a party at his temple. This could have possibly been the temple to Dagon we would learn about after the Philistines captured the Ark some years later, perhaps centuries later. They had Samson brought from the prison to the festival hall to entertain them, making him stand between two stone pillars. While there, Samson asked the attendant tending to him for a favor, Let me fill the pillars on which the house rests, so that I may lean against them. What's implied is that these pillars held up the structure or were at least a vital component. At this point, the narrative pauses for a second to provide a little background information. The hall was full of men and women, including all the lords of the Philistines, so many that there were some 3,000 on the roof when Samson was between the pillars. Samson calls out to God, Remember me! And strengthen me only this once, so that with this one act of revenge I may pay back the Philistines for my eyes. He then grasped the two middle pillars, leaning his weight against them. Then he said, Let me die with the Philistines. He strained with all his might, and the house fell down on the lords and all the people who were in it, killing more that day in his final act than he had in all of his acts before combined. His brothers, along with other members of his family, made the journey to retrieve his body, burying him in his father's tomb, which was between Zorah and Eshtile. The last sentence in the chapter reminds us that he judged Israel for 20 years, and that's the Samson story found in the judge's narrative. Judges 17 kicks off with a man named Micah, not to be confused with the several hundred years later prophet having the same name. This Micah is much less known, but now it's time for his 15 minutes of fame. In reality, not even that long, as he's really a secondary character in an explanatory story. The way the text begins the story is a bit unusual. There was a man in the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Micah, He said to his mother, the 1100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and even spoke it in my hearing, that silver is in my possession. I took it. But now I will return it to you. And I'm going to pause for just a second. It may be a mere coincidence, but 1100 is the exact amount the Philistines promised Delilah just a chapter earlier. Some rabbinic sources even posit that his mother was the one and only Delilah. But that's not to be found in the text. And in case you missed it, when it reads that his mom uttered a curse, that's generally interpreted as she was upset about it, but may not have known that her son was the one who had taken the silver, at least not until he fessed up. His mother said, May my son be blessed by the Lord. He then returned the silver pieces to his mother. She said she would consecrate the silver to the Lord to make an idol cast of metal. She then took 200 of the 1,100 pieces to a silversmith who made it into an idol of cast silver. This idol was kept in Micah's house, probably on a shrine, complete with an ephod and a terrafilm. The general thought is that these were primitive Semitic house gods whose cult had been handed down to this period from the earlier period of nomadic wanderings, essentially Semitic household idols. Micah had a shrine in his house. He also installed one of his sons as a priest. At this point, we're again reminded that all the people of Israel did what was right in their own eyes, with the implication being Micah was an Israelite, but had wandered off a bit a bit of a mystery, and a reason why we were told what we were told about Micah. The narrative changes gears to someone else, telling us that there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, but this young man was a Levite. He left the town of Bethlehem to live wherever he could find a place. He came to Micah's house in the hill country of Ephraim. Micah asked him, from where do you come? The unnamed man replied, I am a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I am going to live wherever I can find a place. Micah then asked the Levite to be his personal priest, offering him a wage of ten pieces of silver a year, a set of clothes, and your living. The your living part probably meant room and board. The Levite agrees to stay with Micah, becoming like one of his sons. At this point, Micah installs the Levite as his priest in his house. Then, Micah reveals his motivation, saying, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me, because the Levite has become my priest. In those two stories, Micah, his mom Silver, and the Levite priest make up the entirety of Judges chapter 17, which gives me a good stopping point for this week's episode. Join me next week, when I'll continue the story of the migration of Dan and the Summary of Judges. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes, or wherever you get the podcast from. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.